0: Well, uh, I wonder if you can think of a time when you waited in anticipation for something. Is there a time that you can think of where you waited in anticipation for something? So in the fall of of 2008, I reconnected with an old friend of mine uh, from college. One of my roommates was uh, getting married, I had moved away, had been gone for a couple of years, and I was a groomsman in my friend's wedding. And, uh, and this friend that I reconnected with, Rebecca, uh, she was a wedding singer that weekend. So Rebecca, at this time, lived 90 miles away from me, and I happened to be traveling to seminary uh, in Dallas, which was a, a little over two hours away, and so, uh, but my parents lived in Dallas, so I would go the night before uh, I would have class in the early morning and and Rebecca and I began to uh, yeah, go on walks together. I would find reasons to get her to come hang out with me. And uh, yeah, so we, we began to yeah, just grow in relationship. Uh, our, our dating relationship was fairly short. We got engaged and throughout our engagement, we, we talked a lot on the phone and we saw each other. Uh, as much as we were able and we did that because we we loved each other and we loved to spend time together and I share all of that because I in that season I remember how hard it was to go home at the end of spending time together how hard it was to go oh you know what this is not we're not married we can't stay we have to go and so, uh, yeah, we, we really enjoyed each other. We were ready to be married. And there was a real anticipation for our wedding day because on that day, we, we wouldn't have to be apart anymore. We would be united. We would be together. We could enjoy each other. And tonight, uh, in Psalm 134, we see the end of a journey. Right. This is, the, this is a, a journey of anticipation, So since January, and I'm not talking about the fact that we've been in Psalms for nine months, uh, but since January, we've been in specifically the Psalms of ascents. So Psalm 120 all the way through Psalm 134. And these Psalms were compiled as a collection, uh, as as a sort of songbook for the people of Israel to be able to recall and sing as they made their way from the lands of their sojourning, where they were among those who hate peace, which is what we saw in Psalm 120. And they are intended to build anticipation as, uh, as the people of God look forward to the day when they will have arrived at the city of peace to praise the name of the Lord in Zion, in the place where he dwells among his people, in the place where that evil is banished in a place where his people will be blessed beyond measure. And so this is the last of the, Psalm, uh, of a, the psalms of ascents because the people are now gathered to bless the name of God and to receive his blessing. And so this is what uh, it's all about. Let's read together Psalm 134, verses 1 through 3. A song of ascent, Come. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Our main point tonight is this. We are to bless the one who has blessed us in Christ. Again, we are to bless the one who has blessed us in Christ. And we're going to walk through these three verses in two sections. The first section, verses 1 and 2, bless the Lord. And the second section, verse 3, may the Lord bless you. So section 1, bless the Lord. So verses 1 and 2 here uh, appear to come from the voice of the sojourning pilgrim, right? Uh, he is the one who represents all of Israel, in calling on the servants of the Lord to bless the Lord. And who are these servants? Well, they appear to be Israel's priests. And I say that primarily because of the qualification that they are those who, it says in the text, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. So a couple of of, uh, passages that I think are helpful here in shedding light on this. Uh, The first is 1 Chronicles 9.33. Here we see, uh, that the temple singers, who were the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, had been assigned by David to be in the chambers of the temple. It says, free from other service, because they were on duty day and night. Okay, they are on duty at night. These are the temple singers. And then, secondly, First Chronicles chapter twenty-three, we see David organizing all of the Levites, so not just the singers, but all of the Levites into their various areas of service to the Lord. So beginning in verse 27 of First Chronicles 23. For by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward. For their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord, having the care of the courts and the chambers, the cleansing of all that is holy, and any work for the service of the house of God. Their duty was also to assist with the showbread, the flour for the grain offering, the wafers of unleavened bread, the baked offering, the offering mixed with oil, and all measures of quantity or size. And then then listen to this, verse 30. And they were to stand every morning, thanking and praising the Lord, and likewise at evening. And so if you compare the language that we see uh, in in that last verse, right there in verse 30, verse 30, uh, to the language that we also see in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 134, these two passages appear to really uh, closely align, uh, which suggests that the servants of the Lord in Psalm 134 are who we know to be the sons of Levi, serving as the priests in 1 Chronicles 23. And these, uh, these priests, in their roles as the servants of God, they are called to bless God on behalf of the whole congregation. Okay. So what is it that they are called to do? What is, what is the point here? Well, the, the term bless here literally means to adore with bended knees. Whereas we saw their task, as I read from First Chronicles 23, uh, as we saw that task laid out, it means to thank and praise the Lord. So what they are called to do, what they have come together to do, is, not, uh, is it's not to seek something merely for themselves, it's actually rather to direct their focus toward and adore the person and the works of the one true God. This is the point, this is why they gather. They are to bless God. And then this call to bless the Lord is supplemented in verse 2 with the call for them to, it says, lift up their hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Uh, and, and I think this brings to mind Solomon's in uh, the, the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, in which the, the, the temple is, is the holy place being referred to here in Psalm 134. Uh, but that's the place uh, in which God dwelt with his people under the old covenant. First okay, 1 Kings 8, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And then in verse 27. but God, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays prays before you this day, that your eyes may be opened night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. See, Solomon here, he, he recognizes that the heavens, the highest heavens, cannot contain the glory of God. Much less this, this temple, although the temple is, is intended to be a glorious, uh, a glorious place. Solomon recognizes, though, that that, uh, this holy place pales in comparison to heaven, and even heaven cannot contain the glory of God. But Solomon also recognizes that God has purposed specifically to meet with his people under the old covenant in this place. And so Solomon, with his hands lifted toward heaven, he prays that the Lord would have regard for his people who, in faith, cry out to the Lord, toward that place and then likewise as the priests in Psalm 134 as they adore God praising his name and thanking him uh, the text says they are to lift their hands as a symbolic gesture right the, the gesture is one of uh, a, that, that expresses their dependence upon the Lord they depend on him to fill their empty hands that's why they're raising their hands It's a posture of recognizing one's need and of looking for the answers to that need in the place of God's presence, from God Himself. And having this kind of posture is part of what it means to bless God. I don't think that means merely the lifting of the hands, but the knowing of one's weakness, the believing that God Himself is alone sufficient to truly answer that weakness. And the believing and and acknowledging of that truth and the crying out to him for help. That the lifting of the hands are the expression of those realities. Right? The call is for God's people to worship him by expressing with all of their being that he is set apart. That there is none like him. Right? That his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His wisdom is above all wisdom. He is good. We're expressing that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. That he keeps his promises and he is trustworthy. That he is powerful and he'll never fail. That his word always accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it out. That he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, which is most certainly proved in his patience toward us. That if there is to be any forgiveness of sins, any help that is worth having, it will come from his hand. That all material benefits that we have in this life could fall away. We could lose them all in a day, in a moment. And if we have him, we're rich beyond measure. And so as I list those things off, that was true of the people of Israel in Psalm 134, it's also true of the way that we should bless God. And so what about you? What about us? Do you believe these things? Do you believe that you need the Lord? Do you come to him with a posture of dependence and so, in so doing, praise his name? Is prayer for you a time merely to ask God uh, to give you things or to help you accomplish your personal endeavors? Or is it first filled with an acknowledgement of his greatness and then a submission of all of your endeavors unto his desires? And do you believe that all that he has and all that he is is alone, sufficient, and satisfactory for you, both now and for eternity? And that he is worthy to be praised. Do you believe those things? In your mind, is there anything truly worth doing more than praising the name of God? This should be the mind of all of God's people. This should be our posture. This should be our desire. So I would encourage you in the same way that Garrett encouraged us this morning, where we, where we see that our affections don't, don't line up in those ways, that we don't desire God the way that we should, when we don't uh, desire to praise His name in the way that we should, we should be honest about those things with Him. We should cry out to Him for help. We should cry out to Him, for, uh, yeah, for those kind of affections, those kind of desires. He loves to give His people what we need. He loves to help us. He wants those things from us. And so I would encourage you, pray, cry out to him, ask him uh, to to soften your heart and to give you this mind. Bless the Lord. And so it, it seems that in this gap between verses two and three, God is indeed blessed. And then in verse three, what we have is the response of the Lord to his people which is given by his priests. And this brings us to our second section. May God bless you. So again, verse 3 says, "May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth." Here what we have is a benediction. It's what we often call this. It's a final word at the close of this evening service. And and what we shouldn't do is hear that as a prayer that well maybe God will do that for you. No, actually, it's a pronouncement of blessing upon his people because they are his people. It's a pronouncement of blessing. So the Aaronic, ble- the Aaronic blessing found in Numbers 6, many of you know that. It was given to the very first generation of those that God redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Verse 22 of Numbers chapter 6 it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Notice, again, this is not just a uh, blessing here in number six that the priests decided on their own that they should say to the people of Israel as as simply an expression of desire that that the Lord might do this. No, actually the text says that the Lord is the one who told Moses to say to Aaron and his sons to bless the people in this way. This this proclamation of blessing is coming from God himself. It's for God's people. If he is the maker of heaven and earth, as we see in in verse 3 here of our text, If he is the maker of heaven and earth, if he is pronounced that this blessing should be proclaimed in the gathering of his people, then blessing most certainly will be for his people. And so this is the kind of pronouncement that we have here in verse 3. Congregation, may blessing be yours from the one who dwells in Zion. He can give this pronouncement as a, as a sure proclamation because he is the mighty maker of heaven and earth. He can back it. No one and nothing can or will stand between God and the blessing that he has promised for his people. And the same is true for us, y'all. Our gatherings are likewise intended uh, to perpetually remind us of the greatness of God and the blessing of knowing him. And as a new covenant people of God purchased by the infinitely valuable blood of Jesus, this is a call for us, likewise, to worship him in a posture of humility and to recognize and to enjoy his greatness. Right? We come in here, we gather together, and we know that we are frail and needy. We know that we are but dust. We know that our lives are but a mist. We know that we have sinned many grave sins. We know that we have pursued what God hates and neglected what God loves. We know that we've dishonored him with our words and with our bodies and with our minds and with our affections. We know that we have fallen short of his glory. We know that we deserve nothing from his hand. And we know that the only hope that we have is that this great God, the one who dwells in Zion, the maker of heaven and earth, our great God. He is able to save us from the depths of our sin and to bestow his mercy and his grace upon us and to forgive us of our sins. And all of this he does through uniting us with his son, Jesus, who came to earth, who lived perfectly who never failed, who died as a substitute in our place, and who was three days later raised to life and who sits at God's right hand and intercedes on behalf of all of his people forever. God unites us to Christ, both in his death and in his resurrection, and he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ all by the power of his spirit through faith which he himself supplies. And so through Jesus, blessing is ours. There will be no more sojourning in the land of those who hate peace. Rather, peace with God and peace with one another is ours forever. We get to celebrate that together. We don't lift our hands to a holy place as the people of the old covenant did. We are the people of the new covenant, a better covenant. We worship him not in a particular location, but... In spirit and in truth, because his spirit dwells within us. And we do this through faith in Christ, who is both. In fulfillment of the first two verses, he is the perfect priest who faithfully blessed God on behalf of his people. In fulfillment of verse 3, he is the glorious king through whom all things were made and who will bless his people forever. We as Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we have great reason, therefore, to forever praise the name of God. Blessing God and being blessed by God is the point of his salvation. We are his people and he is our God. And when we gather together, we get to celebrate that reality and we get to praise his name together and we get to take as ours the blessing that he promises and has secured for us in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us. We thank you, Lord, for the promises, uh, Lord, that uh, there is a city that is to come in which we will dwell forever at peace with you and with your people. Lord, we thank you for your work in Christ to secure that. We thank you that you are a faithful God. And because you are a faithful God, you you never fail. And you're able to deliver on everything you say. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to trust you. And we pray that you would help us to love, to gather with your people together for this purpose, to remember your works, to remember who you are, and to praise your name together. We pray that you would be glorified in us and through us, and we pray that you would build us up in faith to believe these things and to desire, to have hearts and affections that that desire uh, to praise your name. We love you, and we pray these things in Christ. Amen.